We are back with another episode of the Defend and Confirm podcast. I'm Russell Berger. I'm Sean. You have a last name, Sean? Sean Tamars. <laughs> uh, we are celebrating our conclusion of our very long series on critical theory. So glad to be done with that. But we're not getting too far away. Mm. We're going to be talking about something that's slightly related. Uh, the subject is Christian nationalism. How is that related? Uh, well, it depends on what you mean by that term, which is kind of what this yeah. episode is really going to be about. We're going to define it. Okay. Because there's a lot of different definitions sort of floating behind comments about Christian nationalism. Yeah. One of the things that we often say in, in, in our episodes, regardless of what we're talking about, is that uh, a lot of conversations are hindered by the the vocabulary problem, right? Like you have a different definition than I do when we use words like justice and love and uh, this this is true with Christian nationalism, right? Uh, it is used in a variety of different ways, some of them more specious than others. But Russell, let's just start right here. Um, how How is this term used and abused in, in common speak? Yeah, typically you're going to find this uh, on social media. Uh, usually discussions about critical theory, critical race theory will always have a contingent on the other side saying, yeah, but Christian nationalism right. is the real problem or a bigger problem. Sure. Uh, so, or even if they wouldn't say that, they would just say, yeah, but don't forget about Christian right. nationalism. Sort of yeah. like it's the other air, the other side of the coin right. that we got to watch out for. So, uh, we got to start with the word nationalism. Okay. Uh, nationalism historically, uh, was really just a it's a synonym for patriotism, mm -hmm. for uh, feeling a certain sense of love and respect and responsibility towards one's country, yeah, one's right. nation. It, it was not a pejorative. No, it, it very quickly became a pejorative in the 20th century. Hitler did not help, you know, the <laughs> national socialists. Just right? in general. Yeah, we, yeah, in general, Hitler didn't help. But. Yeah. So the word nationalism became sort of a dirty word. Yeah. And in more recent times, it's been used uh, by those on the political left. Yeah to describe uh, people who have an unhealthy love for and and respect for their country, which the political left tends to look at all the bad parts of our history and really characterize mm -hmm. our nation by those failures and faults. Yeah. Uh, and when we say Christian nationalism, yeah. we got to be careful because that same political left will often say Christian nationalism. And what they mean is uh, evangelical Christians who would like to see aspects of God's law mm -hmm. codified in our country. Okay. So if we were to say, as you and I both agree, uh, ab abortion should be illegal. Sure. Because every human being, even the tiny human beings in the womb, yeah. are made in God's image yeah. and are worthy of life. Yeah. Uh, they would call that Christian nationalism because right. we are trying to Christianize our nation. Yeah, that's right. Any attempt to see God's law uh, implemented into the law of the land could they could point at that and go that's uh, right those christian nationalists yeah and so you if you have that definition of christian nationalism well then i am proudly a christian nationalist right but, but go for it <laughs> jinx you owe me a coke i guess so no but i mean that that we're just going to operate with what what we think that the what has come to be the most normal way to understand yeah. this term nationalism as an overinflated sense of patriotism. And that's how Christians, you know, this is an in-house podcast yeah, right now. Right. We are Christians speaking to Christians. Right. We're going to use a definition that's relevant to us, yeah. which is like you just said, it's basically idolizing the state, the nation, yeah. uh, and making that our supreme authority and our supreme, uh, our ultimate rather than God. Now, don't get ahead of us, Russell. We still got to break this down a little bit. Okay. But before we get into the idolatry, let's, let's look at a more academic definition. Ooh. Quoted, uh, by Thomas Kidd, the definition from Matthew McCullough, I think is a pretty good one. 
Christian nationalism is an understanding of American identity and significance held by Christians, wherein the nation is a central actor in the world historical purposes of the Christian God. Thomas Kidd adds to that, uh, ascribing an exaggerated, transcendent meaning to American history. Mm. So simply put, uh, viewing America as part of this drama of redemption or a key figure, a central player. Yeah. You and, know? That, and that's important because I would say every nation is part of the drama of redemption. And we're going to come back around and talk about that. I'm just killing you you're, today. No, but you're doing this okay. is good because, I mean, the qualifications need to be made. Yeah. So, but we want to start with what we think is probably a more appropriate definition uh, for Christians. Mm-hmm. And that is we want to talk about Christian nationalism as a form of idolatry. Right. But before we do that, let's just ask a simple question. Just yes or no, Russell. Just give me the straight juice, man. Don't don't try to dance your way around this. Are nations bad? Can I think about it for a minute? Yes. No. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Nations are not in and of themselves right. bad things. They are amoral, right? Um, they are part of the way that human beings are enmeshed in the creation right. wherein God has placed us. Yeah, right? he has providentially ordered history in such a way that the nation is a key part of the way that humans live together. Yeah, that's right. A nation is just a particular community defined by things like common roots, common histories, common languages, common laws, and common cultures, right? And uh, we think it's, we think no Christian should really pretend like we can escape these common identity markers, right? Nations have always existed, in one form or another, right? We can talk about the more tribalistic nations that you see, for example, amongst the patriarchs in the Bible. We could talk about the sort of city-state nations that existed during like the times of the Reformation or the modern nation-state as it exists today. But nations have always existed and will always exist until God establishes the perfect rule and reign of, of his kingdom on earth. Amen. Anything to add to that? No. Now, here's the problem. <laughs> There always has to be a problem. That's what sin does. Uh, Our hearts are idol factories, right? And because we can take good things and turn them into ultimate things, it is all too easy for us to take our nation and put it in a place that really is reserved for God and and God alone, Hmm. right? And this is where we're going to get into the idolatry aspect of this discussion. So, Russell, can you give us like a non-academic, just super cookies on the bottom shelf understanding of what idolatry is in the Bible? Idolatry. I mean, obviously you're worshiping a, a carved you, image. Do you want me to answer this I question? I do, but because oh, I, 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 I know some people and I won't say any names who have a hard time yeah. getting past uh, the, the most literal understanding right. of idolatry. The physical golden calf right. or the wooden carving that right. you worship as your family God. Yeah. We see that all through the Old Testament. That is a form of idolatry. Okay. That is one of the ways that idolatry manifests yes. in the world. Yes. Uh, in first world countries like America, yes. there, are, there are few and far between examples like that. Yeah. Uh, our idolatry, though, is just as real, okay. and it is in our hearts, and it is the love of anything more than God. Mm. It is giving what God is due to something else. Yeah. It is exchanging, as Roman one's, Romans 1 puts it, yeah. uh, the glory of God for whatever. Whatever, right? It's it's putting your hope and your trust in something that you... You think about someone who's standing there before an idol, yeah. right? Lighting their incense, whatever they're doing. You know, can you please give us 
rain? Can you please give us good crops? Can you please help our women to be fertile, right? And for our land to not be barren. What are they doing there? They're looking to this thing to help them mm-hmm. as this thing has become their hope, right? And, yeah. and, and and that can happen to us. We can do that with any number of different things. We can do it with our beauty, our education, our family, and our country. So so let's give now our more theological, uh, idolatry-based definition of Christian nationalism. We think that Christian nationalism is what happens when we place our sense of ultimate hope and trust in our nation, right? It's when we have a disproportionate love of country. Mm. Fair? Any, any qualms with that? No, I think that's a good definition. But are you saying that it's wrong to love our country? Uh, no, I'm not. And that's all I have to say about that. Right. Yeah. I, th- I think no, there kidding. is a sense in which uh, patriotism, you know, to love one's country, yeah. to feel honor and duty and respect for yeah. your country is a is a morally virtuous thing. Oh, absolutely. Unless you're from Europe. Amen. <laughs> but as Americans, <laughs> yes. uh, I, there's nothing wrong with that as long as it is leashed. Yeah. John Piper, he says, uh, love for country should feel like putting on your old favorite pair of slippers. You know, it just... It just feels right. There's something about being here, the sights, the sounds, the smells. There's just something of, like I feel this way about living in Alabama. You know, there's just something about being here in North Alabama that feels like I'm putting on my favorite jacket. Yeah. You know? and, at, and you can have all those feelings yeah. and at the same time recognize the things that are wrong with your country. So we've defined what Christian nationalism is. Mm-hmm. Fundamentally, it's idolatry. Sure. Uh, but as we've already pointed out, idolatry can be sneaky. Yeah, it can. You can be idolatrous and not necessarily know it as a Christian. Yeah. So what are some signs? Give me some practical evidence, things to look for. You know the old Jeff Foxworthy routine? You might be a redneck if. <laughs> if. So you might be a Christian nationalist if. Give me something. All right, let's run through it. I think we have one, two, three, four, five. We got seven right here. Okay. The number of perfection, by the way, if, oh. you're, a, if you're a numerologist. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we have seven, you might be a Christian nationalist if, okay, so number one, you might be a Christian nationalist if you try to make it sound like all the founding fathers of the nation were Christians, right? I mean, were they, Russell? Some of them were. Some of them. A lot of them were deists. Yeah. And then a lot of them were also, I forget the term for it. It's not deist. They do, because, you know, like Ben Franklin, he was often talked about as being a deist, but he believed in providence. Right. And deists don't believe in providence. Right. So you you basically had a bunch of non-Christians who were in the atmosphere of Protestant Christianity and absorbed some Protestant concepts. Sure. This is the, this is the the classical liberalism we've talked about so frequently. Uh, That did not make them Christians. No. Now, there were genuine Christians. You can read the life of John Adams. You can tell that brother loved the Lord, and he saw his service to this country as primarily a service to the Lord. Praise God for that. But if you try to make it sound like this is a Christian nation founded by nothing but Christian men, I just want to ask you why you're trying to paint that picture, Mm -hmm. right? Okay, another one. You might be a Christian nationalist if you try to airbrush away all of the pockmarks of American history. Historical revisionism. Yeah, and that's a problem of the left and the right. So let's just do a little... We, we, we often say contrast creates clarity, right? Yep. So let's look at two different ways that this has happened. Uh, the first one from the left, uh, and if you're not in American politics, I know like in Australia, like left doesn't mean what we mean, right? But on the political left, their version of uh, a historical revisionism would be the 1619 Project, right? Now, Which, what if I've never heard of that? 
Uh, it's a project that was taken up by some writers at the New York Times and it's been implemented in way too many school systems across the country uh, that basically teaches that everything about American history has to do with us trying to implement and uphold uh, chattel slavery. Right. White supremacy is the lens through which our entire country is understood. Yeah, that's right. And they make a lot of very basic historical errors yeah. and and just try and skew the history of our country in a very negative light. Yeah, that's right. Now, the rights version of this would be David Barton, the now discredited uh, Christian author of many books on American history. And this guy basically just tried to make it seem like America was is just one long succession of of good Christian men doing good Christian things all the way from the founding fathers until our, our modern day. Right. All right. rainbows and sunshine. Yeah. And you know, if you really want to honor the country, you should... If, if you really want to be a true patriot, you should recognize the flaws in our country and in our history. Uh, it's it's kind of like the gospel, right? Whenever we share the gospel, it's, it is the good news. But we should really emphasize the bad news because when you understand how bad the bad news really is, it makes the good news look so much better, right? Uh, the same thing is true with our history, right? It's only when you understand how bad things have been that you can really appreciate how good things are now. Right. Right. Okay. Anything to add to that? No, it's very good. Uh, you might be a Christian nationalist if you read America into the Bible. Hmm. Uh, now, I didn't grow up in the church. I've only heard weird stories about this from people at certain uh who grew up in certain like you know like the ifb and stuff like that charts on the wall you know right. ezekiel's vision all the way to revelation but you know the the locusts in uh in revelation those are the apache helicopters right. you know waging war against the infidels yeah. in iraq yeah if you if you've ever been exposed to old school dispensationalism mm -hmm. in your church if you don't know what that is yeah, don't worry you about You probably it. do know what that is. Yeah. Uh, think of the, you know, the left behind books yeah. where all of Revelation is read with a newspaper in hand. Right. This is happening now. Yes. How can we, it, like you just said, the locust plague? Well, that must be Apache helicopters. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the whore of Babylon. Well, that must be Russia, you know, <laughs> or China. There's, sure. there's so many ways that you can go wrong in those sorts of interpretations. But the fundamental point is they're looking at our nation as if it is synonymous with the new covenant people of God. That's right. Yeah, that's that's the big issue. Uh, and we're going to talk about why that's so bad here a little bit closer towards the end of the episode. Uh, you might be a Christian nationalist if you try to turn your national leaders into devout believers despite all the evidence to the contrary. Uh, listen, I'm not trying to get into a Donald Trump conversation here. But the way that Christians tried to make it seem like Donald Trump was a Christian over the course of the last several years of his political career, I found it to be horrendous. Listen, Donald Trump could not have been a member of my church. No. You know, I mean, maybe if there was a lot of repentance, he could have been. But uh, yeah, I mean, from Thomas Jefferson, who was most certainly not a Christian. <laughs> uh, we, we don't really know what he was. He, I mean, he kind of made his own cult. <laughs> he made his own Bible, that's for sure, right? But there's something about Christian nationalism that makes us go, this leader, he's going to be the one to fix us what's wrong with us politically. Right. And we, we feel like we have to ease our conscience in supporting this person. And so we try to find some way to make them seem like they are spiritually okay. Right. And they're not. But you know what, guys? You don't have to do that. The Lord can use spiritually bankrupt, morally bankrupt people to accomplish his good purposes. You don't have to pretend like they're Christians. Right. And on the other side of that, the Lord can give us uh, wicked rulers as a form of judgment. Absolutely. So yeah. yeah, and this is, this is not a problem exclusively of the, 
the right side of the political spectrum. Sure. We see similar things happen on the left. Uh, you know, Joe Biden, our current president, uh, is Catholic. Catholic, right. And you see the same thing with Kalma Harris and in Georgia, Raphael Warnock, who is, I think, a reverend of some sort. Uh, but the guy is clearly not a Christian, even from some of the tweets that he made recently about the resurrection. Uh, sure. His theology is so bankrupt. Yeah. Uh, and so you have, again, even on the left side of the spectrum, this desire to clean up to, to, the, to baptize right. the, the the people who we think are going to be our political messiah right. and, and somehow the idea is that that gives them credibility that mm. gives them the authority to rule but as you've pointed out the lord has used uh broken sticks to strike straight blows yeah. so often through human yeah. history or he could be using evil men to judge us that's right yes uh, you might be a Christian nationalist if you try to find a way to support unjust wars. Ooh, now this one might be a little tricky. Mm. Uh, Russell, you served in the military. I did. How many deployments? Four. Army Ranger? Yep. You're very hua hua? We don't say that. Oh, you don't say that. No. I was only in the regular army. I wasn't elite, so we did say that. That's right. And we were pretty proud to say it. It makes uh, it makes my skin crawl when I hear it. I'm sure it does. <laughs> and it does to me too. I get flashbacks ah. of uh, waiting in line. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we both served in the military, right? We both deployed. Uh, I deployed to Missoula. You did many deployments. So were we wrong for being in the military and being deployed into a, a war? Not necessarily. We could have been. Right. And so that the question here isn't, let, let's not go through American history to determine which wars were just <laughs> we're and which wars were each one. unjust. Yeah. The point is we understand that both exist. Yeah. Our country has fought very just wars and it's probably fought some unjust wars. Sure. Uh, let's start there. Yeah. The tendency though with Christian nationalism is to bless those wars mm -hmm. without holding them up to scripture yeah. and determining whether or not they are the right decision to make simply because it's our country. It's sure. our side. We yeah. want our side to win. So therefore it must be a good war. Yeah. And this kind of follows the theme of just never being critical of one's own nation. Yeah, that's right. Uh, we're not pacifists. We understand that you can be a Christian and be pacifist. Uh, we're just going to set that aside for now, but just a, a little contrast. We do think that is you and you and I, we think, Hey, you go off to fight Nazis, that's probably a good thing, okay? You go off to fight in a war or send your children to go off and fight in a war to project global imperial power, probably not a good thing. Or bomb Syria without congressional approval. Uh, we're not doing this. <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> uh, you might be a Christian nationalist if you love uh, your fellow countrymen who are unbelievers more than you love... Christians who are not of this country, right? Who are not of your own nation. Right. right. Or even Christians who may disagree with you on some less important matters. Sure. Yeah. There's a bunch of different. Yeah. Like, okay. So, you know, you, you voted the same way as your neighbor in this last election and you can really get along with him, but you can't really stand that Christian who, you know, voted differently, right? You just, something about it just rubs you the wrong way. You don't want to talk to him. You don't want to be friends with him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think a really good thought experiment to, to drive this home is, uh, would you be more happy to see your daughter, your son or your daughter? I I'm using daughter cause I have daughters. Uh, and there's something about that that pricks the heart of a dad a little more, uh, marry an unbeliever who's an upstanding dude drives a pickup truck with an American flag in the back. He's a welder. He's a welder. He's got a good job. He's probably got a concealed carry permit. And he's just a good, upstanding American dude. Would you be more happy to see your daughter marry that guy or a believer from Cambodia or Ethiopia? Mm. You know? It's just a little thought experiment. Well, I know my answer. I know. Uh, 
I, listen, the most important thing for right. my daughters is that they marry Christians. Right. And what you're really getting to there is, is what tribe do you have allegiance to? Yeah. What people are you considering your true brothers and sisters and yeah. your true neighbor? Yeah. Uh, and in that sense, as Christians, there's only one answer. That's it. Yeah. That's the new covenant people, right? Yep. We have to remember, and here's now our kind of bringing this to a, you know, a theological uh, summation. We have to remember that Jesus did not die for any particular nation, right? Jesus died to gather people from all nations, from all tribes, from all tongues unto himself. Revelation 7, 9. After this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, right? Mm. This is our tribe, right? Amen. We're going to have people from Indonesia, from Vietnam, from any, pick a country in South America, the, the worst country you can think of in the Middle East, the best country you can think of in Africa, right? And hopefully there'll be a lot of Americans there too, and it's going to be a party. Okay? Amen. Uh, Russell, we have to remember that uh, our comfort in our home and our country, which is a good thing, I love living in America. I'm so thankful to be a citizen of the United States, right? Where I can do this without fear that somebody's going to kick the door in and haul me off to jail, okay? I love being an American, but we have to remember that if we ever get so comfortable in our in our nation that we forget that we're exiles, as 1 Peter chapter 2 says, right? That we're strangers in this world, then something has gone wrong. Right. Right? Our true citizenship is not of this world. Are you just trying to quote the Bible? Because that's what I have right here in I my just notes. made that up. Okay, well, little did you know, <laughs> Philippians 3.20. Uh, and this is, before I read this verse, it's significant that Paul is saying this uh, to the church at Philippi. Can you give us a little bit of the historical yeah, yeah, background well, data? Well, I, I, I taught this to Sixth Avenue uh, yeah. in a Bible study one Wednesday night, and I didn't know this before teaching the text, but citizenship in Rome was an enormously big deal. Mm -hmm. There was tons of patriotic fervor around being a Roman citizen, and in particular in Philippi, yeah. uh, it was it was basically sort of a seat for ex-military guys, yeah. ex-commanders who would retire yeah. to go live the rest of their lives out, yeah. and that was their identity. Yeah, so they, they for, would have had the national fervor, right? They would have had up to ten the Roman flag out on their doorpost. <laughs> That's right, and it's significant that as Paul is writing to these very nationalistic, uh, very patriotic people, he says this: "But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a savior." the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul isn't saying, hey, you can't be a Roman citizen. Being a Roman citizen is bad. Appreciating the safety that comes through Rome, the mail system, all that stuff. He's not saying that. He's saying, just remember that this is not your home. Yeah. Right? And that and that's where we, we keep coming back to balance. Yeah, we do. It, it's so, you know, we want clear black and white binary answers to questions like these. Yeah. And we don't get that. We live in a world of gray. Yeah. Definitely. You are a citizen of your country. It is fine to have patriotism and nationalism as long as it's leashed, restrained, yeah. and subordinate to your ultimate authority, to your ultimate citizenship, yeah. which is in heaven. Michael Reeves, in his new book on the fear of the Lord, which is excellent, by the way, he says, uh, fear of the Lord is the fear that subordinates every other fear, right? So if you have that, then every other fear kind of falls into its rightful place. Hmm. The same thing is true here, right? If, if we have uh, a right fervor for the kingdom of God, then every other kingdom instinct that we have in these earthly kingdoms kind of falls into place. Right. Right. Okay. 
Russell, I have never been in a church where I saw a lot of Christian nationalism. So maybe I have I've found this issue to be uh, kind of distant, you know, out there. I hear people talking about it, but never seen it, so I don't really understand it. Have you ever experienced this in a church? I have. Well then, moving on. <laughs> no, can you tell us more about it? Yeah. Uh, when I came back to Huntsville uh, from D.C., uh, we had to live near a hospital yeah. for Catherine's health. And unfortunately, it, that put us just way too far away from Sixth Avenue, where yeah. I would have loved to come back to. And so we found a church that was a stone's throw from our backyard. Mm. It was a small Baptist church. Uh, and we were welcomed. The people there were very sweet, very yeah. kind, uh, seemed to really love the Lord. And I didn't last long there. Yeah. And it wasn't because of the political persuasion. You know, they were they were all conservative, I could mm. tell. I'm a conservative generally. generally you know, yeah. uh, not on every issue, but but we got along in that sure. way. And yet the way that this church worshiped corporately, the way that they prioritized the things that they spoke about and prayed about uh, and sang, it emphasized a love of country so much a love of not just country, but of their particular political party, mm -hmm. uh, that it got under my skin bad. Yeah. And this was weird because again, like I'm generally conservative, former military. Sure. Uh, and yet they had a very patriotic number of services around, uh, veterans day yeah. where there was more pledge of allegiance, uh, God bless America singing uh, and just sort of, uh, reading America into the Bible. Yeah. Then there was prayer reading of scripture yeah. and genuine preaching. And I couldn't do that. Instead of praying God word prayers, you're praying prayers about the, not just praying for your president, right? You're, yeah. you're praying your political platform. Instead of singing hymns to God, you're singing hymns about your country. Right. You, instead of reciting scripture, you're doing the pledge of allegiance. Right. Right. I mean, literally that no, happened. Literally. Yeah. <laughs> and, and for a greater period of time than we did anything that would be found in a, a healthy church sort of governed by biblical principles of worship. Yeah. And so this was a black church. Right. Yeah. All black. All black. No, no, this was a, this was a white country church. And, and I think the only other times I've seen Christian nationalism like this, and I would describe what they were doing as Christian nationalism. Sure. Uh, it's always a white church. It's, yeah. it's these white country churches full of, uh, you know, blue collar conservative people who many of whom, like I said, love the Lord sincerely. Yeah. But it's interesting, isn't it? That it's always white churches that kind of fall into this Christian nationalism. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think I don't think that's an overgeneralization. I think that's fair. I think it's accurate. White churches do tend to fall into this uh, this error. And it makes sense when you consider the history of our country. Why would black Christians feel like America is their home? Why would they feel more comfortable in America? Now, listen, I'm not talking about someone who was born in 2001, okay? I'm talking about black Christians who went through slavery and Reconstruction right. and Jim Crow and then everything, you know, all the difficulties coming out of all of that. Why would they feel like America is their home? Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. It's only people who are in the... In, I'm using this phrase because I think it's appropriate here. People who are in the majority culture, right? Those who have, you know, felt very comfortable being white Protestants. Uh, and people who can very easily brush over and forget the sins of our nation's past because they weren't individually affected by those events. Yeah. So, and, and at the same point, again, trying to balance this, this is also, I think, why you see many black churches swing too far towards the other side. Sure. Uh, and just just hating the country 
that did this to them. Yeah. Uh, rather than seeing the good that has also come out of our nation. Yeah. And and honestly, I mean, sometimes when you think about how bad things have been, it's like I, I can't blame you. Right. right? Yeah. And so uh, whether you're on this side or that side, we just all need to try to realign ourselves with what Scripture says about our identity and our our our, our citizenship. Amen. Let's add a couple more points of balance, and then we'll close. First point of balance. Nations are actors in the drama of redemption. Yeah. Disagree? Agree? No. Yeah, I mean, like, you read the Old Testament, God uses, you know, Babylon as the hammer against Israel, right? So can God use America for his particular redemptive purposes as the drama of history continues to unfold? He already is. Yes, he already is. And yet we need to remember that America, just like Babylon, mm -hmm. may just be a footnote someday in that story. Absolutely. Every nation is part of the production but no one nation is the star of the show. The closest thing we got to that was Israel. Okay. Another point of balance. Uh, we're in a place right now in Western civilization where we are being told that we should celebrate the national and cultural heritages of any number of different countries, right? Any number of different nations. And that's good. Let's recognize all that God has done, all of his marvelous and wonderful grace in Ethiopia, in Croatia, in Vietnam, in Costa Rica, right? But we're also being told that the only nation that we can't celebrate is our own, right? So let's celebrate every nation on earth, all of God's common grace, everywhere where it may exist, as long as it's outside of the boundaries of the United States of America. Right. What, what's wrong with that, Russell? Well, it's inconsistent, for yeah. one. Uh, you know, it, it's it's not only inconsistent, but let's let's take it a step back theologically. When we are someday gathered in front of the throne of God, the, the great multitude of nations singing praise to him, the beauty of that is not that every nation is, is represented equally and everything about those nations' cultures is perfect and wonderful and worth celebrating. 5%, right. 5%, 5%, 5%, yeah. The beauty of that is that God has saved a people from those different nations, mm -hmm. despite the many things that are often wrong with their cultures, yeah. despite the many wicked things that have happened in their culture's histories, their nation's yeah. histories, and brought them together around something that transcends cultural and national borders and boundaries. Yeah. And so even when we're told celebrate all cultures, we need to remember that there's a, the, the thing we're celebrating mm -hmm is the power of the gospel to bring disparate, different people together. Amen. It's not just because we're celebrating all of the weird traditions that my culture happens to have yeah. or the way that Indians used to burn widows on pyres. Right. You know, there are things about everyone's culture that are not good. Yeah. Uh, and that's true of America as well. There are things about our nation and an American culture generally that are yeah. not good and not worthy of yeah. celebration. And yet we should look for the good in every culture and be thankful to God because it is his grace yeah. that gives every culture something worth celebrating. And then ultimately we're looking forward to a day when all of that is, is transcended and we're gathered together in the great congregation. I, I love the way you pulled in that image uh, uh, from, from the, you know, the end of all things, because, you know, Jesus is painted there in Revelation as the Lord of Lords. He's the King of Kings. He's the ruler of his ultimate final sovereign nation. And it's a beautiful picture of people saying, yeah, my king is not my ultimate king, even though he is my king. Uh, another point of balance. Let's not pretend that the United States is pristine and unblemished. She is certainly not. But let's also not pretend that all nations are equal. 
right? I kind of uh, just said this. Kind of just said this, but I feel like it needs a little bit more specific emphasis. Let's do it. Um, there are certain nations on earth right now that are exponentially more evil than the United States of America. I mean... Like Florida? Florida, starting with them, you know, Texas. Yeah. No. Like, think, let's just use an easy example. North Korea. There we go. Okay. North Korea is a bad, 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 wicked, evil nation. Okay. Not even in the same moral ballpark as the United States of America. Tyranny, enslavement of people, mass deception. Persecution of God's people. Uh, unjust threats to the world. The yeah. yeah. We could just keep going on. So uh, we want to say, yes, America is not perfect. But let's not pretend like we're on the same moral ground as uh, Venezuela or North Korea. Right. We could probably spend more time talking about that. Um, <clears throat> and then one one final thing before we uh, get to our closing question. Uh, let's remember that uh, God can judge this nation, the United States of America. And he has very good reason to do so at present. Uh, enough of a reason to do so that I might be inclined to think that we are probably already under God's judgment. Uh, I, I want to be careful how I talk about this, but um, do you know how many babies were killed last year in the United States? A thousand. A thousand. Well, there were about a thousand a day. Hmm. Okay. Maybe, maybe even more than that. Um, simply put, we live in a nation that not only uh, kills babies, but celebrates. Right. Celebrates it. Right. We... It's codified in our law system. It's part of our moral code. It's it's our, our moral intuition tells us that it is a good thing for us to murder infants. Yeah. The number of, of babies killed through abortion in this country dwarfs every genocide in human history. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, if you're a Christian nationalist, uh, I, I understand why you appreciate this country, but um, things are really bad. Yeah. And we would have every reason to believe that God would bring the hammer of his judgment down on our heads uh, even now. Final question, closing question. I think we've done pretty good. We've, we've powered through. And if you've uh, stayed with us thus far, you're in for a treat because I think this is uh, probably uh, one of the more practical questions that we can ask as we close this episode. Russell, what is a bigger threat to the church. Cause that's what we're doing, right? Yep. We're, we're for the church. Defending trying to defend the gospel. and confirming the gospel. What's a bigger threat to the church, critical race theory or Christian nationalism? Yeah. I've seen this question pop up, uh, usually with people giving their answer, uh, online as they ask it, as they ask it. Yeah. yeah. Letting, letting us know, you know, it, it depends on how you frame it and depends on what you're measuring. Sure. So if you say, what is a bigger threat to your church? Mm. That answer might be very different. Sure. Uh, for me at the church that I started at when I came back to Alabama, they have no risk of adopting any <laughs> critical theory ideas. Right. And yet they are in great risk, I think, of losing the gospel. And at least yeah. of their faithfulness in corporate life. Yeah. Uh, through idolatry of our state, our nation. They are steeped in it. So for that church, yes, Christian nationalism is their threat. That's the big threat they need to watch out for. But for the broader church in our society, I don't think that's the case. Okay. If you look at the way the non, you know, the, the part of our country that is not Christian. So the, these days, that's the academy. That's all basically all major universities. Yep. That's the media. Yep. That's most of the political world. So all of the main cultural institutions. That's right. Uh, so if you look at any of those, the long, slow march of critical theory through those institutions, uh, and, and literally it's all of them, has seeped into our minds 
and, and programmed us to think in ways that reflect critical theory. And yeah. so that's just sort of the zeitgeist. That's, mm -hmm. the, that's what's in the air right now. Yeah. And so I think that generally speaking, that is the much larger threat to the church. Uh, and, and just think about how the media and the academy and movies and TV and politics treat churches like the one I've described. Right. That, that backwards little Christian nationalist church yeah. out in the country in Alabama. Mm -hmm. uh, they are the lowest of low yeah. in the minds of the majority of Americans. Yeah. And there are no real risk of swaying the, the majority of evangelicals yeah. with their views. So I, I think, broadly speaking, the greater threat is critical theory. Yeah, if, and if you doubt us on that, I'd encourage you to do like a little experiment. Maybe start a Twitter account, get some followers, then make a post saying something like, uh, just some critical theory post. Just say something that's very much in line with critical race theory, for example, and see the reaction that you get from that. And then make a post saying something like, I thank God that he's blessed me and put me in the United States of America, the best country in the world, and, and see the responses that you get and how that may vary. Yeah, people, I think they, what they like to do is they like to establish themselves as centrists, right? Mm -hmm. So what they want to do is get this Aristotelian mean. They want to put critical race theory on one side, and they want to put Christian nationalism on the other side, and they want to put themselves in the middle. The only problem with that is that a lot of times in life, the center is the wrong answer. Right. Right. Uh, you don't you don't take a bad idea over here and a bad idea over here and pull little bits of bad ideas together to make a great one. Right. It's not how it works. Five points of Calvinism, five points of Arminianism. I'm not in the middle of that. Yeah. Right? Or uh, legalism. Legalism and, and antinomianism. Yeah. You don't try and find a balance between the two. You reject both. Yeah, that's so right. So same concept here. One final point here. I don't think that people realize that the more they push critical theory, critical theory-esque things the more they'll actually drive up Christian nationalism in America. You can see this uh, through a different lens in history, the rise of fascism and socialism. Uh, most people who have studied those two things as they, as they arose together in Europe in the early 20th century, they found that uh, as socialism gained, gained prominence in Western Europe and as it began to attack people's country and their religion and, and their values, it gave way to people who said, I won't be attacked. I won't have these things taken from me, these things that I care about. And, and therefore, fascism right. rose up. I know that Hitler was called a national socialist, but he was a fascist. Yeah, same with Mussolini. Same with Mussolini. And the only reason they were able to do that uh, in large part was because uh, of the rise of, of the threat of socialism. Um, and so, yeah, I think I'm beginning to see an increase in Christian national fervor. And I think it's because people are panicked. They're afraid. They feel like they're being attacked. And they are being attacked. Right. Uh, the, the fear is legitimate. The response is theologically erroneous. That's correct. Yeah. So just be, be aware of that. Yeah. Um, I think that's it. Anything else you want to add? That's it. It's a good episode. Yeah, I think so. So brothers, remember, sisters, keep in mind your citizenship is in heaven. Let that order the rest of your patriotic fervor. Amen. <laughs> Amen. And uh, thanks for listening. You can follow us on Facebook. Yeah. Kinda. Although I think Mark Zuckerberg is trying to kill our, our visibility. Yeah. We're on Twitter, Instagram, Gab. Uh, we're in a bunch of places now, but Facebook has just been dying for our mm -hmm. interactions. So I, I think we're getting suppressed because everything else is growing. We our, have more fans than ever. Yeah. We, I mean, we literally just started the Instagram page and yeah. it's growing twice as fast as Facebook. So I, I think we're seeing some of that. So we're on Facebook for now. I don't, sure. I don't know how long that'll last, yeah. uh, but do follow us on those platforms. Yeah. Uh, let us know if there's 
a platform you're on that we're not on. Yeah. And uh, if you just listen to the audio, you can find us on uh, your your favorite podcast catcher with iTunes or Podbean or on Spotify and Amazon Music. And uh, like Sean said, pray for us. Yeah. Make sure uh, to to do that. And also, we've gotten some decent suggestions on future episode topics. Yeah. But uh, man, we have a we have nothing to talk about. And it feels weird, you know. We yeah. finished this huge series on critical theory. With the the sky's the limit now. We can go any direction we want. Uh, so please let us know what you'd like to hear us talk about. That's right. Signing off for the Defendant Confirmed podcast. I am the Sean. <laughs> I am Russell. <laughs> Goodbye. Thanks.